Hello and welcome. I'm Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings. My guests today are Peter and Nerida Kulik. Peter and Nerida are volunteer missionary builders. In fact, Peter has built um, hundreds of churches or been involved in facilitating the building or modification of hundreds of buildings in Russia for churches and also in Mongolia. Nerida is a nurse and a midwife and they have three children. And today they're going to be talking about their experience of Russia and also Mongolia. And then in the second part of the program, we'll look at their early lives and experience. Welcome, Peter and Nerida. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to have you today. Peter, I've heard your name over a number of years, but I've never had the privilege of meeting you, so it's lovely to catch up with you at last. Now, when you were in Russia, you had a pretty amazing coincidence or seeming coincidence. Who's going to tell me about that? Okay. We were visiting... Um, in Tashkent and we were asked to go to Alma-Ata and the car, we, we were going in this car and we knew that there was no fuel because of a fuel strike. So our, the, the pastor who was driving us put an extra fuel cans of fuel in the boot and after driving for, you know, it's normally a one-day drive, a bit like from Sydney to Melbourne, and um, we were used the very last can and we were looking and looking and the pastor suddenly pulled into a little service station where two cars were and he asked them, do you have any fuel? And they said, no, no, there's nothing till Alma-Ata. And we thought, oh, what are we going to do? And... He he said, oh, my son has a friend who's got a car just like yours. And this pastor who was driving us said, is your son's name? And he named the, the fellow. And this man said, yes, that's right. Oh, what a coincidence. And he said, look, you need to get there so you can have the fuel out of my car. And he siphoned it out into our car and we were able to get through to Alma Art at that, at that evening. And this was like maybe a thousand kilometres from where this pastor lived, and he'd never been to this place before. So, I mean, it wasn't a coincidence. It was that, a miracle. That, that, that we were at that place, he was at that place at that time, um, and um, so far away from home, but yet we met and he recognised the vehicle. And even when we got to Alma Arta, they said, How did you drive all that way? Because there's no fuel. We know there's no fuel along the way. It's not a coincidence, is it really, when you think no. about it? No. no. I hear too many stories like this to think that they're just coincidences. Peter, how did you come to be doing this building work and coordination work in Russia? You're a builder, a carpenter in Australia. You've got a prosperous business. How did you come to be doing this in Russia? And when did this all start? Barry, in 1989, um, our family decided to take a a once-in-a-lifetime trip uh, in a motorhome through Europe. Um, the Soviet Union, of course, was still um, intact at that stage, and uh, we spent three months in the former Soviet Union. My background is actually from Russian parents, so I, it was really interesting for me to go to Russia for the first time to, to hear the language that I was familiar with. Um, and uh, we travelled for, for three months through the Soviet Union, 
And at that stage, I, was, I said to my wife, you know, I, I've got some sort of tug to my heart was sort of kind of saying, look, you know, um, it would be good to, to go back there and, and be involved to help the people there to somehow be involved in, in, in church construction or in, in some sort of humanitarian construction there at that time. So we came back to Australia. And again, it, 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 as if it wasn't a coincidence, I'm sure, that, that um, two years later, uh, the Soviet Union had just had just collapsed. Uh, 1992, we went back there in January 92, and, and at the end of 91, uh, the Soviet Union had collapsed. So we were asked um, by again by a contact of a friend of a friend, would you be prepared to go and volunteer 12 months in in uh, in Russia to do construction work at a uh, educational institution? And we we agreed to that, and we went, and that was the the best decision of our lives. You wouldn't have expected in 1989 that you would be back there in no. 1992, would you? No, as I say, it was it wasn't a coincidence, I'm sure. And, and we, that period you were there back in 1992 would have been a period of tremendous transition in yeah. Russia. What was the difference between your experience of 1989 and 1992 in Russia? What were the noticeable things? Um, there was more freedom, of course. In 89, it was still a communist um, system. We actually had. Um, people in our motorhome following us. Um, we were we had to have the 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 routing pre-approved um, through the, um, the the visa section of the um, the the Russian um, or the Soviet um, foreign ministry. Um, and we had just some, many many funny experiences when we were in a big motorhome with which we bought from England. We travelled, we had a big kangaroo um, cut out on the back of our motor vehicle and these vehicles were just not um, not, uh, not seen in the Soviet Union during those days. And um, yeah, we, we, we knew that we were looked after well um, mm. in, in the Soviet Union at those, during those times. Um, and, uh, but when we got there in 92, we could see the, the enthusiasm of the, the people, the freedom, the, the longing for for Western things, um, and that, of course, can be a good thing and a bad thing. Mm. Um, but especially there was, a, it seemed to be a, a spiritual longing um, for for Christianity, for for um, information about about God, and and, and it just you know it, 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 was, it was there was obviously more freedom and the ability for people to think for themselves and to to be involved in in attending meetings and for um, being fed the gospel. And uh, that was a noticeable thing, probably. My wife and I were in Russia in 1995 um, on an evangelistic team, and we went to the city of Ufa in the Republic of Bashkiria, and we had a similar sort of experience. It was there was a we felt a tremendous hunger for the gospel, mm. a tremendous hunger for things that had been suppressed in Russia for a, a lengthy period of time. And indeed, I understand you were in Russia in 95 too. Yes, we were. But our paths didn't cross. But let's go back to 1992, and you're at Zayoski, which is mm-hmm. south of Moscow, and this is where the Seventh Adventist Church had its seminary. Correct. Tell me about how you got the new buildings going there. Um, yeah, we arrived there in 1992. I remember it was maybe minus 22 degrees. It was a total, totally new experience for us, coming from warm Queensland. Um, and uh, uh, it was it was it was a, a quick a quick learning experience for us. Um, uh, we, we we were um, asked to to build a, a large dormitory um, building, a four story dormitory building, um, and a, a church inclu- was included in that. We had about 120 construction workers on site, 
Um, and of course, um, looking after those workers, they, they came from Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. They came from all over the former Soviet Union. Not all of them were Christians. Um, we had issues with um, with discipline probably and with I mean, having that many construction workers um, that you've got to accommodate all their needs, um, not only their physical needs but also, I guess, emotional needs. Um, that was that was part of the challenge, but um, things worked out well. The Lord seemed to always um, be, provide us with with the strength and the the opportunities to face the challenges and to solve the problems that we had. We we were certainly um, dependent on the Lord a lot more than in my secular business here back in Queensland. You just depend on the Lord to put out the fires, to help you put out the fires, and to find the solutions that you need to do. And every day there was always. New challenges, new fires to put out. That was the, the way it was back then. Those buildings that, that you built there are very beautiful buildings. There was an initial building there, but just mm-hmm. looking at them, it's just, they're superb buildings. Yeah, they're lovely, they, lovely buildings. They were designed by architects in Moscow, and the, the architecture, yeah, it's very unique. And um, we put a lot of emphasis on, on making the buildings um, fit into the environment, and um, they, they're, they're, they are, they're, they're very attractive buildings. And Erida, what was your role? How did you fit into all of this? And how did you find going back to to, uh, Russia in 92? In 92, our children were, what were they, 9, 11 and 13 during that first year. Um, I was very enthusiastic the first year and I, I was asked to teach English at the seminary, so I did that for one semester. But then I thought, oh, I'm going to just concentrate on the children and, and do some homeschooling with them. And and during that first year also, the children and myself went to the local school and to learn the, lo- to learn the Russian language. And that was very difficult because our teachers spoke only Russian and we spoke only English. <laughs> so we started with grade one work. <laughs> and the children picked up the language pretty well, I hear. Yes, they did, yeah. It's a lovely language, isn't it, Russian? It, it reminds me of French. It's got a lovely lilt to it, mm-hmm. in a way. And um, in that period of 92 to 94, Peter, you were involved in coordinating or building or modifying 400 buildings. The first year, um, Barry, we, we were stationed at the seminary, and, and that was... Of, um, we worked full-time at Zolsky, so we, I wasn't involved in anything other than um, in '92, in, in, in other other than the um, construction of the dormitory building and the church and the um, the infrastructure there. However, at the end of '92, we initially went for 12 months. We were asked to stay on and coordinate um, from a, a makeshift headquarters in Moscow that we were renting. The uh, the um, purchase of a new division office building and to plan that. And that, and my other um, job, of course, was to to coordinate the development and construction facilitate yeah about 400 churches over the next two years that must have been a very satisfying thing to accomplish to see these buildings modified into churches and churches going up and new congregations being it was established. it was primarily because I mean during communist times uh, there were virtually no church buildings at all I mean it was obviously a communist system um, the Orthodox Church had had some buildings and other we had we had one or two buildings um, located throughout the Soviet Union but um, the, so the, the the doors were opened and the opportunities were there we had donors who were willing to donate we had uh, the general conference of our church um, put a lot of funding and emphasis on that 
so we built up a team. Um, we had a, a great team there, and, and we were able to, to build uh, new buildings and also, as you say, facilitate um, purchasing properties, renovating, uh, extending, and uh, coordinating this. Of course, it was a we had we had representatives in, in most republics um, uh, that were reported back to us, and they travelled on the train day and night, pretty much, covering all these territories. And it was a it was a mammoth task, but yeah, it was very satisfying. Mm. What happened after 1994? Did you come back to Australia for a period? We came back to Australia for a period of probably um, six months, I guess, and and and. Um, during that time, I commuted back to Russia to try and find a, a location for a, our headquarters uh, division office building, and we found that in um, November of '94, and then we moved moved back permanently again. Um, I think it might have been at, in, in, at the end of '94, or, or certainly January of '95, and that's when we started to build our new headquarters building. When was that headquarters building finished? It was finished um, in November. I think from the 11th to the 13th of November, it was dedicated. Um, it was a, a big event, and um, the building the building has got um, facilities for for permanent accommodation, 28 apartments on top. It had um, a, um, a cafeteria, kitchen at the back, so it's a presentable building. The high-rise around the building is a, a virtually 22, 25-storey building, so uh, it's in an area that it's a, you, you wouldn't find too much in, in the West, but because of the high-rise... Um, um, it's, it certainly gives you an opportunity to be able to reach out to the community. I remember those buildings because my wife and I went to worship there every morning for a few days while we were in, in Moscow. I remember also that they had uh, guards at the, at the entrance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it was a gated, gated community. Gated community. Mm-hmm. Now, after 95, what happened then? 95, um, we came back permanently to, to live in Australia. But I continued on there. Um, it's very difficult to extract yourself from from a position that you firstly you're very enthusiastic about, and secondly, it got to the stage where the donors, um, the private donors, were, were were happy with what was happening, and they they really requested that that I come back and continue supervising um, their funded um, programs. So were you travelling back to Russia? I travelled back to Russia five, six times a year for, uh, I guess, a period of until about 2004. My daughter actually took a pass, took my eldest daughter grabbed one of my passports, oh, maybe five or six years ago, the passport that covered the 1990s, and she counted that I went back to went to Russia, I think, 60 times during during that 10-year period. Were you going with him, Nerida, at that point? Occasionally, if there was a church dedication or some opening of, um, like, the multi-purpose building in Zoksky, I would go with him. It was rather exciting then. I would encourage her to come to these occasions because she, she was an integral part, really, of my service there. Um, not only when we lived there, but but looking after the family, and she, she was always... Um, on her knees, um, praying and, and, and supporting us. So I felt really important for her to, to, to be there for, I guess, some of the emotional times where she could also appreciate the, um, the, the, the happiness and the satisfaction that we had from some of these occasions. Russia's a pretty amazing place, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. When you think about it, it's so almost completely different to our Australian culture. Mm-hmm. Russian people are very, um, very strong, intelligent, um, it's it's just and and the climate and the and the, mm. and the landscape is just yeah. they're very well read. Amazing. They're very, very, very cultured. The, the, cultured, the yeah. arts, the 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 um, 
yeah, it's it's just a it's a whole different culture. It's a, it's it's something that you really need to experience to appreciate. And they love their music mm-hmm. and singing. It's yes. just uh, it's just part of their it's just part of their lives. So after you've finished this period, what is happening? You mentioned before that um, before our uh, interview this afternoon. You, interview, uh, you mentioned that you actually had been on a 300, 300, 300 program. What was that about? Yeah, um, I think maybe in about 97, the administration of the, um, the division over there, they, they really felt that um, they needed to, to um, spread Christianity, I guess, in unentered areas because there, there are many regions of, that, of, of, of Russia specifically that... And I guess the Kazakhstan and Ukraine, where um, Christianity still hasn't hasn't had the opportunity to to evolve, um, so they were very active in um, um, going out and ministering in many of these areas. They earmarked 300 locations in the former Soviet Union where they felt um, uh, people would be would accept um, Christianity. So we we again were involved in the uh, facilitating 300 more buildings, um, 300 um, evangelistic campaigns, and um, uh, that was really a successful um, initiative, and uh, it was achieved within a period of three years. So you've had involvement with around 700 buildings in Russia. Yeah. That's a significant achievement. It must have been pretty satisfying to be involved in all of this. It was, especially when yeah, it was such a time, as I say, where, where there was such, such enthusiasm, um, such a vacuum, really, in um, in spiritual influence, and um, uh, yeah, the, the the it was so good to see the emotion, the passion of people when they have a permanent building where they can where they can come and worship. Because prior to that, when we first arrived in Moscow, for instance, there was I think maybe um, ten or maybe eight um, congregations, and they were continually shifting from one rented palace of culture or theatre to another, and they'd, they'd come to one place one Saturday morning when they when they worshipped, and, and I'm sorry that the building's been um, been taken over by somebody else. This is the new address you have to go to, and they'd, they'd worship there for a month, and then they would say, oh, you have to move on to somewhere else for another month. So the stability really meant that people got discouraged, and they um, they they really needed permanent places, and this mm. gave them that stability. Mm. Now, you, ha- you were a Russian speaker. Yes. Your parents spoke Russian at home. Yes. And uh, your experience of Russia would have been different then because speaking the language always opens doors and does things that perhaps not speaking it does. Narada, tell me about your experience of Russia and not being a Russian speaker. Well, during that first year, I, I learnt the basics, going to the school with the children one hour every day from Monday to Friday. So soon I could um, pick up a phone and, or answer a phone and, and work out what they were saying to me. But it is a very difficult language. What was your shopping experience like? I can recall moving from one little shop to another. They're all called supermarkets, but going all over town to get your shopping. Yes. What was it like for you, shopping? It was an adventure, a challenge. <laughs> um, if you... You know, we was we would soon find out where the little local market was, and we would basically buy fruit and vegetables there. Um, we would um, soon work out that if we saw something, you would and you needed it maybe in a month's time or a few weeks, you'd buy it because it wouldn't be there later on. Sometimes, I remember some once we couldn't get eggs, and Peter 
drove all the way from Zorkski to Moscow to find some eggs because we're having visitors and because Easter was coming up a few weeks later, there was just no eggs. So there was always shortages and I think because everybody knew that, people created shortages by buying everything that they saw <laughs> and you hoarded, you know. Yes. Yeah. What was the experience? Did you go on public transport at all there? Yes, yes. What was your experience of public transport? When we lived in Moscow, we used the, the metro. It was just amazing. It was, you never had to run for a train because they would come every 30 seconds to a minute. And um, it, was, it was a really efficient system, a people mover. Mm. How did you manage the, the cold, the, the transition between inside the buildings and outside and then back into the buildings again? Before you left a building, before we left our apartment, we would always look out the window at the thermometer and see what temperature it was, and they, then you could dress accordingly. And you soon learned, because often if you went out without enough warm clothes, you didn't stay out long, you'd come back, get redress, and go out again. I also found that if you put too much on and you didn't peel it off in time, yes. you'd end up with all of your clothing soaked with mm. perspiration. Mm. So it took a little while to just manage those simple things that, mm. that people have to do every day. How did your children experience Russia? I know they picked up the language quickly. They loved it. They talk about it now even. They had so much fun. They met other expat children and local children, you know, that whom they could talk with after a while. They, it, when we were in the village of Zolkski, they would go after their class, you know, their schooling. In the morning, they would just go out into the forest in the, in the afternoon. They'd make cubby houses and collect flowers in the summer and they were by themselves yeah. I mean it was it was such it was a safe environment Barry yeah. we we've, we never felt threatened the communist system was very rigid and there was so much discipline and mm. I mean things obviously are a little different now but but we just let them go and play on their own you know maybe a kilometer away half a kilometer away and felt totally totally safe for them to go and play in the bush and make their cubby houses and and we wouldn't see them for hours and didn't think anything of it mm. They'd come back full of life and muddy and... <laughs> they, they, very, very muddy. Uh, yeah. That was one issue that Nerida was quite irritated about at times. Our youngest <laughs> boy was nine and our house, um, when, the, when the snow thaws, I mean, minus five degrees is great, but yes. plus two degrees when, when there's just yeah. mud everywhere. The snow and melting. And he had gumboots on and he'd come in and change because he, he fell in the mud how many times a day, you know? His boots would stick in the mud and then he'd go to push it out and then when he'd pull his foot out, it'd knock him over. <laughs> and there it had to do a washing by hand, of course. So it was, um, yeah, that, I, I remember it was a challenging time with, with you saying, oh, don't get so dirty every time. <laughs> Did you have the experience of going to the Sunday markets and? Oh yes, yes. It was a a, a, a weekly thing every Sunday to go, because there wasn't many much to to buy during the week. Mm. I know that the children there tend to learn a number of different languages. I think most of them were learning German and English as well as Russian, at least German and English. So they're very cosmopolitan. Now, coming back to the, the buildings themselves, what were some of the challenges, Peter, that you had to face in a different culture, different climate, in terms of building, from your experience in Australia? Um, it's a totally different building. Neat, of course. Um, the, the buildings of that 
at that stage we didn't have a lot of western materials building materials we still the 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 communist system had just broken down um importing from the west still wasn't really available um the walls were about two foot or 600 millimeters thick um total brick construction so they just lay the brick um, all the way through, and that was the insulation they had. Uh, these days, of course, we use insulation, and uh, it's a lot more efficient. But back then, that's the way we built. So you'd, you'd, you'd use so many bricks, I'd come up with a dump truck, dump the bricks out. Um, of course, they were poor quality, so you'd lose a lot of them uh, that were damaged, but you still use most of those um, by throwing them in the center of the wall. And um, same with concrete. Uh, the concrete was all mixed on by hand uh, on site. Uh, no concrete trucks. Um, it was you had to barter for a lot of your material during those days because um, things were done in an irregular way. Really, you couldn't just go down and buy something. You had to actually stop a truck sometimes and say, oh, "What if you? What are you carrying?" And he'd say, "Oh, we've got lumber here." Um, that's going to go out to a mill somewhere and say, so, well, you'd, you'd stop and you'd trade and you'd work out a price. He'd come out and he'd supply it and, and, he, and the, the, the person to whom he was going to deliver it would have to just wait and do the same with somebody else, I guess. So, And the the thing that stands out to me was in those early years, inflation was really um, at a high level. So you would only change... We had dollars we worked with. You only change enough dollars to last you for, for a day or a day and a half, sometimes only hours, because the, inf- the ruble was just um, dropping its value so so um, readily that um, yeah, the financial the financial issues also were were um, challenging at times. The, the the recording, the accounting, because this all meant. I remember a friend of ours had a hundred dollars in ruble notes, and he had it in a big sack, and he carried it in his shoulder, and coming to our apartment says, "There's a hundred dollars in in five ruble notes," and it was just a, like a whole big um, sack of, of potatoes, Stanley, you know. And it was just there. Yeah, it was interesting to to see the inflation and the the economy was still struggling um, in those days. What about money for you? This is a time-consuming thing to be a a volunteer you know, on these major projects. How did you survive financially? Um, look, prior to that. We were blessed in my business. I'm a builder, developer from Queensland, and we were involved in construction of home units. Um, and uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to, to fund our own time over there. We had a, a, a volunteer stipend. I think it might have been 100 or $150 a month, which, of course... But in, but really, things were so inexpensive in Russia in those days. We'd go to the circus. It would be equivalent of 5 or $0.10, cents maybe. Um, the metro, the same, maybe five or ten cents. So, so things were very inexpensive in those initial days. But the Lord, the Lord always provided for us, and we were able to we were able to survive without any problem. When you weren't working, what were you doing, apart from sleeping and going to church and so forth? <laughs> what did you do for recreation in Russia? He didn't stop working. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'd go for walks in the forest. Um, sometimes. When he went visiting different churches in different areas of the Soviet Union, um, I'd go too, or the children would go, and we'd, we'd, um, we'd, you know, you meet the the local church folk, and they'd show you the local area. Or we'd do, you know, the, we, in the winter we bought kids ice skates, and they played ice hockey on the frozen lakes, and um, some skis, so they could go see even skiing or sledding through the through the forests or on little hills and. I didn't have a lot of downtime. No, you didn't. Um, but narrowed in the kids. The kids especially just assimilated really well with locals. And they just made their own fun. They played, you know, the sunset sometimes was at 
in in the summertime at 10 o'clock in the evening. So they would play and play and they would pick up language. And I mean, they've got such great memories of the time they had there. They felt mm. really blessed having the opportunity to have that freedom to be able to just go and play till all hours, knowing everything's safe and secure. And there was no television. There was no... Nintendo or Game Game Boys or whatever, they were just out and they were just having a great time. As I say, it was just a, a perfect environment for them, to grow up, for them to grow up in. Must have been a great time for you as a family. Mm, it was. A very bonding, mm. very close time. Mm. Sounds idyllic. <laughs> Tell me about Mongolia. How did you come to be involved in Mongolia? Was this an extension of what you've been doing in Russia? We came back. I, I ceased my involvement in, in, the, in, in Russia and the former Soviet Union because I really felt they had adequate facilities um, and also our kids needed to come back and have some some, some uh, regular schooling. So we came back, I think, in maybe... Or I, I ceased my work there in maybe 2004 um, or 2003. We came back um, and I stepped back in my business shoes back home and, and, and continued active construction. Um, and then our local community church um, up in Kabulcha in Queensland... Um, went to a place called Bolgan in Mongolia in 2004, 2005. And then they um, said, look, we really need to build a community, a church community centre in that place. And they called on us to go and help them do that. So we grabbed a team of volunteers. I was able to pull support from Ukraine and Russia from the contacts I had there. Um, and we were able to, to build a, a very representative building in the city of Bolgan, um, over a four, four or five month period, we lived in in Mongolia, and that again um, gave us the the inspiration and and I guess um, the enthusiasm to to be involved in Mongolia. That's a very beautiful building as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's probably the 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 most representative building in the city of Bolgan. Yeah, and mm. the government officials actually use it for some of their official functions. Although it's a church, they're very happy to accept it and to to um, for visiting dignitaries to, to have their occasions there. So what year are we up to now? That was 2005 or six? Six. Six, 2006. So the children are getting on. Are they at home or are they studying or what are they doing at this time? Well, they're all married. <laughs> at this point, yeah. Yes, our eldest daughter, um, we came back from during the time of building the church at Bolgan and she was having her first child. Hmm. Now, the time they had in Russia obviously didn't impact on their education negatively. Tell me about where your kids have gone educationally. Our eldest daughter is um, she's in education and she is presently in America for a few years writing a Bible curriculum for years 11 and 12 over there. These are for Adventist schools? For Adventist schools. Mm -hmm. Our second daughter is also a teacher and she teaches... Um, part-time at an Adventist school in Brisbane and our son is a lawyer. So that time away didn't impact on their careers or anything in a negative way, did it? I think they grew um, substantially. Nerida initially had um, a formal um, program uh, for the kids in Zalski, uh, a distance education program. And she used to actually send tapes back and the classes back, but we found that um, by the time they got to Australia and were marked and come back and then they were checked at, um, usually by the authorities before they let them back. And so it was, it was a, a period month. of months before we got that. And so she eventually said, look, you know, we just need to abandon that option. And so 
so yeah, we we she homeschooled the kids, but but um, but they applied themselves, and I think yeah, that, that was self motivated. That now they're also really self motivated, and, and our eldest daughter, who's now working for the North American division in the schools, she she had two and a half years of formal schooling, but in high school, in high school. But I don't I don't think that impacted really on her academic achievements because she she had the experience, um, the 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 learning experiences of, of life. I think really. Um, give you that that balance and that cultural mm. sensitivity um, and she was able to pick up her studies when she came back in the middle of year 11 and mm. um, she did okay eventually in year 12 so um, of course there were probably those educators who would say you can't do that but um, um, I think it depends on the on the kids and probably the, their motivation to a certain extent as well. That real life learning is very powerful stuff really. Mm. Mm. I think the experience of being in Russia and experiencing Russia as a, as a different culture would have been very powerful in their, you know, as a formative influence for them. Yeah. Makes them much more cosmopolitan, I think. Yeah, and tolerant of others. And it's mm. not as if they didn't do any schoolwork. They were, they were still doing their distance education, but they were self-motivated. I'm not surprised at the discipline, because both of you are clearly disciplined to be able to do what you've done. Uh, I guess some of that has rubbed off on... on would you say that? Yeah, I suppose children are a product of their parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah... Now, tell me about Mongolia. What's the difference between Mon- working in Mongolia and working in Russia? Because I understand that many people in Mongolia speak Russian. Sure. Well, part of the former Soviet Union. Uh, it's, it wasn't an official part of the former Soviet Union, but it was really a 16th Republic of the Soviet Union. It was a communist state, um, heavily influenced by Russia, uh, or by the Soviet Union. Mm. Um, and communism only fell there, of course, in the same as 1991. They became an independent country. Um, building standards and the type of building are very similar to, to Siberia um, in Russia. Um, again, very cold country. Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia, is the coldest capital city in the world. Temperatures go down to minus 55, minus 57. Um, so, again, the, the buildings are virtually ice boxes or ice chests or whatever uh, in regard to the insulation. Um, uh, the bureaucracy is probably similar to Russia with approvals and with uh, the contacts or personal relationships you have to have with the city authorities. Um, I found it um, quite interesting that most of the, the governors and the mayors of, of the places we, we built in Mongolia do speak Russian. They're the older generation who came up through that system and the schooling was a, virtually a, um, a Russian schooling. Um, and of course, when you deal with those people, um, they they tend to be softer and more understanding, and and uh, accept you more when you speak in a language that they understand. So that was mm. something that really was of benefit to me, speaking Russian to them. Are you still involved with Mongolia? Yes, we are. Just the last year, we built six, uh, uh, four community centres in uh, the regional parts of Mongolia. This year, I'm going to actually be going back uh, in a month to to build a a large multi-purpose building, just um, an area out of Ulaanbaatar, which will, will be a, a training centre and eventually a seminary for um, for theology students and, and other um, students, education in education, etc., for from the Mongolian uh, mission that we have there. My sister was there just a few years ago with an evangelistic team, and so I have a couple of artefacts from, mm. <laughs> from Mongolia to uh, remind me of her visit there. Mm-hmm. Um, how many buildings have you built there now? Uh, seven, Barry. 
Um, th- these are all community buildings. We have a most of the buildings are uh, of one design. They have a an apartment at the back, a two bedroom apartment um, for the um, the local worker and his family. And then uh, in the middle, we have a, a dedicated room for community. Uh, activities and initiatives. Um, uh, ADRA uh, is involved in, which is ADRA a, being ADRA being an Adventist Development and Relief Agency, which is an NGO, a non-government organisation who, who are independent of the church. Uh, they just are out there helping communities, and they are leasing parts of these buildings to have initiatives for um, physically challenged children. Physically mm-hmm. challenged children who, and, and they, the, the children like that usually aren't. Um, too, too readily accepted, I guess, in that culture. They're 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 hidden away, and so yeah. Adra is really trying to to change that and make a difference with um, having them accepted and, and 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 teaching them how to how to, I guess um, live a, a a more natural life than than they would otherwise. Now you're retired now, Peter. Yes, we. So um, you can spend full time on this. If you <laughs> we 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 retired just a, I guess a few weeks ago. This yeah, um, and we're able to. To serve and um, do the things the, the kids are off, obviously off our hands. We have eight grandchildren, so we, we obviously enjoy spending time with them, Barry. But um, yeah, we, we're committed to to continuing our our passion, which is volunteer work um, in wherever the Lord takes us. Really. Mm. Well, we're going to go to a break now. When we come back, I'll be talking with Peter and Nerid about their lives, particularly their early lives, and what they've learned from their lives. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 2 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, dot org dot au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. If you've just joined us, I'm Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings. My guests today are Peter and Nerida Kulik. We've been talking about Russia and Mongolia and their work in building churches and institutions there. Tell me about yourself, Peter. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Tell me a bit about your family as well. Sure. My mother, um, uh, my mother's granddad on the side of, uh, was from St. Petersburg, Russia, and on my dad's side from Poltava near Kiev in the Ukraine. Um, when my grandfather uh, from St. Petersburg was 16, he was actually expelled from his home because he became a, a Christian, a Seventh-day Adventist, and his father was extremely distressed with that. Bought him a one-way ticket to Vladivostok on the other side of Russia. And um, there he actually attended an Adventist church um, when communism came to, to Russia in 1919, 1918, 1919, there were a whole bunch of millions of white Russians fled communism into China. And my parents were actually born in China, both of them. Uh, my dad was born in Harbin. Mum was born in 
Qingdao. And when communism came to, to China in 1945, in 1946, actually, they immigrated to Australia. I was born in Australia, um, in Sydney, uh, into a Russian-speaking family, spoke Russian fluently. We, our Russian was the primary language spoken at home until I went to school. I picked up English, of course. Um, and uh, then uh, went to school in Castle Hill, then back then in Stratfield in Sydney, met my wife. Were these Adventist schools? Adventist schools, mm. yes. Um, both were Adventist schools. And um, then I pretty much lost the, the language from a, a speaking perspective. My parents always spoke to me in Russian. I replied in English because it was obviously a little easier for me. Um, so I can understand Russian perfectly. But uh, I found that speaking, I, I lost it pretty much um, until we went to Russia. And it was still there. So after a few months, I was able to pick it up. And obviously, I became fluent again. Mm-hmm. about what about you? Okay, my father's side had German heritage, my great-great-grandfather, and my mother's side, English. But I was born in Australia, in Sydney. I went to an Adventist school, primary school, and then I went to Strathfield High School, and that's where I met Peter in grade seven. Tell me about your initial relationship. Oh, he was just an, a guy who played football <laughs> and a bit of a hooligan. <laughs> I, I wasn't really um, academically inclined, Barry. Nerida was the the goody-goody, I guess, of our class. <laughs> and she was very um, popular, you might say, I guess, and I was a, an outsider. So, um, of course, I, I had eyes her from her, uh, to, uh, on her from the beginning, but, yeah, I was more in, interested in football and, and sport and just um, hanging with the boys. But um, I guess about probably near... Year 10, we started year, year dating. Year 10, I, I, I kept pursuing her and um, eventually she, she succumbed, I guess. Although mm. soon after she moved to, because of her dad's work uh, as a pastor, she moved to Victoria. And then we continued our uh, relationship by, by post. Yeah, and then when I, I finished year 12, I came back to Sydney and did nursing at the Sydney Adventist Hospital. Back then it was a Sydney sanitarium and hospital. And on the very first day there, he looked me up and kept asking me out, kept asking me out until eventually I succumbed. <laughs> <laughs> so when did, when did you marry? 1974 we married and I was halfway through my nursing. We are only 20. And I was still doing my carpentry apprenticeship in carpentry. We... We went. I went on to year ten, but uh, year twelve rather. But I wasn't, as I said, I wasn't academically inclined at all. And I took up carpentry, um, and also did a building and certificate and building and spec certificate tech. Although I, I really enjoyed that, and I did quite well at that. It's mm. amazing how when you when you have an interest, you can apply yourself. And uh, Nerida, of course, was always fairly academic, and she continued on to do midwifery. So. You have children quickly? We have three children, mm-hmm. um, a girl, boy, girl. And um, what, were your, what were your plans, your motivation when you were younger? Did you have any goal for your lives, the two of you together? When you're young, you don't. You just motor along, don't you? But, but um, we did actually, soon after we were married, wanted to do a year volunteer somewhere out in the islands. But um, they wanted us to start in January and we weren't finishing our courses till February, so that just sort of fell by the way until some years later when we had all the three children, the opportunity came up to go to Russia. I always, I always had the desire, I guess, to, 
to be immersed in, an, in another culture, coming from from a, an ethnic um, family, you know, the, the, that were virtually refugees. You know, I think I I always had that inbuilt desire to 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 be involved and to learn and to to experience another culture. So, it, but it, I guess it wasn't a, a, a yearning to, to to have a missionary experience. It was more to have a life experience. Yes. And it just so happened the Lord led us in a particular direction, a particular time, and we we grabbed it and it was a as I said before, the, the best thing that happened to us. So you were open to volunteer service, but mm-hmm. the opportunity, the right opportunity hadn't just mm-hmm. arrived at that sure. time. And probably financially also, we weren't in a position to be able yeah. to, to, to take full advantage of, of any opportunities. Yeah. And I think just getting a bit of experience behind you, getting a family, mm-hmm. um, prepares you for the sorts of things that you're going to experience when you go overseas sure. as a volunteer. Has your motivation ever changed from the time that you first went to Russia? Has no. it deepened and grown? Yes, it has. No question about that. You know, every, the, once it gets in your blood, Barry, it's it's there forever. I think. You know, um, um, we have a we have a desire to to continue serving, continue doing what we can to make a difference. Um, the the net the, the blessings you have from serving like that are just immeasurable. The network of friends you build up, the the close experience with our family. Um, the satisfaction you see in, in people's faces, the emotion, the passion of, of, of them being involved in, 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 in having the facilities that they have. Um, it's, just a, it's just such a, a blessing and such a, an edifying experience, I guess. You know, why would you want to deny yourself more of that if, in fact, you're making a difference? Mm. Um, and as I say, the difference really um, is that, that we're blessed more than, than they are blessed because, mm. because um, you know, the... the When you give to the, others, it comes back tenfold. More, yes, yeah. Yeah. And that's actually the way it's been financially with us as well, to be honest with you. you know, um, the, the Lord seems to have guided us and channeled our lives. We look back and we think, wow, the, the times we were actually serving is the times that were most rewarding for us, not only from a... a uh, perspective of uh, physical or spiritual, but financial as well. Um, mm. I could go into that further, but but I guess it's it's not not, not that important. But mm. you know, we can see that the Lord has blessed us immensely during the time we've served. Tell me about your relationship with God and how that may have developed over the years. Yeah, I guess you know I was born into a Christian home, um, a, a fairly conservative but 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 um, uh, deeply spiritual home, um, and I, I thank the Lord for that. Um, I guess the life-changing experiences are the ones that, that where we have experienced um, Christ's um, leading and the miracles and the, the closeness that that, uh, that 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 we get um, when when you depend on Him in in in, in um, circumstances that are challenging and um, you know that certainly draws you closer to God personally and as a family and. Um, you know, you just become dependent on on the Lord every morning, um, continually in in prayer, and um, um, you know, I, I just it's it's certainly been a a life changer for us. The the opportunities we had to to be involved in in mission service spiritually. I mean, mm. tell me what impact Nerida had on your spiritual life. She's still got an impact now, continual impact on me. Um, you know, the support that she gives me in every way. Um, I I couldn't. I mean. I, um, you know, who would have imagined when we first went to school that that, that this would happen? You know, it's mm. it's a dream come true for us, really. Now, you described her as a goodie before. <laughs> she was a goodie. Uh, she still is a, a goodie, and I guess she's straightened me out as well, really. So I'm going to ask Nerida 
what was your spiritual experience? I mean, being the daughter of a, of a pastor, mm. I guess there were certain social expectations, religious expectations. Yes, I think, I think you just grow as you get older, and the more you, you know, I find if I, the, my lowest times were when I didn't spend time in prayer and Bible study, and trying to do things by myself. So I've learnt to spend, you know, a certain time in the morning every day to for just Bible study and prayer, and it, and it gets me through the day, and it it just makes me grow spiritually, mm. and, and and I just know there's a God out there who loves me and um, cares for us. What was the impact of having three beautiful kids on your spirituality? I, I, how do we answer that? I don't know. It's, it's, it was, you know, um, our family certainly grew, grew closer spiritually. Mm-hmm. And um, I look at them and I praise the Lord for their commitment as well. You know, the, mm-hmm. as I say, the experience made a, a, a huge impact on them as well um, spiritually because we were tied together. Um, you know, by Australian standards, probably the, the, the seminary was a very conservative worship style. But but we just appreciate it all so much. Um, and it doesn't matter really what the worship style is. The, your relationship with God is what matters. And um, and I think the kids certainly just got so much out of the, the time that we spent in, in, in Russia um, spiritually. And I just, as I said before, I praise the Lord for that opportunity. Mm. They're very close to each other and to us. And... Um They've got that missionary spirit even now. And on their kids, on our grandkids, we can yes. see the, the, the generational impact, I guess, because they all are committed, uh, the grandkids, the, our grandkids um, are being led along that missionary spirit as well. And, um, yeah, it's, it's something that, that not only us, that we have benefited from, we can see the benefit in, in further generations. You see the blessings going down through the generations, yeah. don't you? That for yeah. those who are faithful to God, mm. yeah. have a relationship with Him, the blessings don't just stop with you. They, mm. they, they go through your children and, and onto your grandchildren and so forth. Mm. Giving your children a firm foundation of spirituality and uh, an example of service and that, mm-hmm. very powerful on children. Mm. Yeah, our daughter, our middle daughter, Tatiana, she spent a year, what, two years ago in Ukraine as a volunteer again with her two kids and her husband. For 12 months. For yeah. 12 months. And they, again, they look back at that as saying this is um, this is something that has enriched our lives so much. They want to continue doing that. They're both, they're, they're both school teachers at the time. And um, our eldest daughter also is, is, is serving now in, in the States. Our son, um, he's got a... His, his legal practice, which ties him down somewhat, but uh, he's also involved heavily in, in community work. Um, and they've, it's, it's had a, a huge impact on their lives, I think. Now, you were both born in Sydney, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you're living in Queensland now. You've been there for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that was related to your work initially, wasn't it, that shift? Yes, it was. I, I was a carpenter um, builder, and I had um, quite severe back problem issues. Um, and at that time... I was advised to, uh, to to give that away for a while. I fortunately had the the backup of education as a, a building inspector, building surveyor. So we, um, I took up a desk job in Queensland, and um, I was able. F- uh, to, uh, the, my back had an opportunity to recover. 
So you're retired in Queensland. You're staying there in Queensland for your well, retirement. Well, our kids and our grandkids are there. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think that's at the time. At the stage, yes. Yeah, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, last year we pretty much retired in Mongolia. So who knows where we'll retire <laughs> temporarily? But our our base is in Queensland. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you for your favourite Bible passages. And Peter, you're first. Sure. Um, my mother passed away when she was 62, and this was also her favourite um, Bible text. Uh, it's found in Job 20, sorry, Job 19:25, and it goes like this: "For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth." And that, of course, gives me so much encouragement. I was very close to my mum, and it gives me so much encouragement for the future to know that um, we'll meet again, and um, that our Redeemer liveth, uh, liveth and that mm. we can depend on Him. Yeah, it's a wonderfully comforting thought, isn't it? Mm. Mm. And mine is found in Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not be faint. It's just um, a beautiful text. Um, You know, in Mongolia, we often see the the eagles soaring um, over the landscape. And it just reminds me how much... The Lord um, gives us our strength every day. Mm. Mm. Beautiful verse too. I can understand why that one would be a favourite. I mean, the, 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 the thought that um, as you get older and mm. you lose physical capacity and so forth, the thought that one day we're going to die if the mm. Lord hasn't returned and that there will be a resurrection and yeah. we'll be restored to to that um, that capacity, that's a that's an amazing thought, mm, a very comforting thought. Comforting, yeah. Now, Peter, tell me what you have learned. You've had vast experience across cultures. Tell me what you've learned from your life that really stands out. Something that you think everyone ought to know. Um, depend on the Lord, really. You know, um, we have had the experience where we've had so many. Um, so many times when things have, have, have really seemed difficult, seemed challenging in the work that we've done, and you put it in the Lord's hands, you, you don't allow yourself to, to stress, to, to um, feel, I guess, as if it's beyond you. But if you rely on the Lord, it'll work out, you know? I think of one time in particular where, well, many times, but one time in particular when we were out of food, out of oil, out of a whole bunch of provisions in, in Zaska when we lived in the first year. And uh, we were on our knees, um, you know, we had kids to look after, the, the, the um, food was was limited, and it was, the Lord provided the, the same day that we really ran out of a lot of stuff. And a container came to Moscow, and then we were able to, to get some stuff, and somehow in that environment, you uh, depend on the Lord. But, but bigger than that, I guess, serving, um, gives you so many blessings. Mm. Up until um, we went to Mongo- uh, to Russia, um, uh, you know, I was involved in business and it's a, a, our regular lifestyle. But but after we had the opportunity to go to Russia, our life changed, and and we had different perspectives, different um, priorities, I guess. Um, and and the Lord just gave us so many more blessings that that I would, I would say to anybody, if you have the opportunity to be able to go and serve. Uh, to be involved in in service for for community and for for people to get to know God, just grab it with both hands because it just makes such a difference in your life. Mm. What about you, Nerida? What have you learned from your 
your life that you think we should know? I also think what Peter said about trusting God with all your heart. Um, I like to think that um, you know we should thank Him through prayer for all the the blessings that He gives us every day. And I like to share this love with others wherever I can. That's my my thoughts. Narita, you're going to close our conversation with prayer today. Mm-hmm. I know there'll be people who have listened who um, will have maybe had similar experiences to you um, or worked overseas in different cultures and so forth. I wonder if you would like to just... Um, just pray for our listeners generally, but also for those who specifically might have had the sorts of experiences that you've had as well in the past. Mm-hmm. Kind Heavenly Father, we just um, uphold you now as our eternal Lord and Saviour, and we just thank you for the experiences in our lives. We pray for those that are missionaries right now out throughout the world and even those here in Australia and Lord if people are finding things difficult may they just always lean upon you because you're always there for them and we just give you praise and honour and thanks for this time spent with you just now and thank you for hearing our prayer in Jesus name I pray Amen. Amen been really wonderful meeting you today, both of you. I, um, as I said right at the very beginning, Peter, I've heard your name over 20 years now, and uh, I've not had the privilege of meeting you until today, but I really want to just express my appreciation to you. I think your story is very inspirational to me, the sorts of things that you've done in your career, the willingness to put your own your own career and um, prosperity on the line to go and do something for other people, to make other people feel better, to um, to give them a you know a place to worship, to stabilise their lives in that way. I think that's a really wonderful thing you've done. Thing you've done. So, so all blessings to you for that. Thank uh, you, Barry. As I said, as I said, I think that. the blessings really. Um, the Lord has given us the blessings, and we have actually had the. The benefit, rather than probably given the benefit, we've had the benefit. So mm. thanks for you. Yeah. Well, it's been a privilege to meet you both. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. And it's lovely to make new friends like that. I'm Barry Harker, and you've been listening to Life Learnings. Remember to tune in again next time as I speak to another fascinating guest or guests. Bye for now, and God bless you and keep you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.